Chapter Fifteen of Molly Brown's Sophomore Days by Nell Speed. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Debbie R. Baker Robinson. A Recovery and a Visit. Young Annie McLean was not destined to be gathered to his forefathers yet, however, and before Christmas he was able to sit up in bed and beg his mother fretfully to telephone to Exmoor and ask some of the fellows to come over the doctor says you're not to see any of the boys yet andy replied his mother firmly if i can't see boys is there anything i can see he demanded with extreme irritability mrs mclean smiled and a little later dispatched a note to queen's cottage that afternoon nance came shyly into andy's room and sat down in a low chair beside the white iron hospital bed which had been substituted for the big old mahogany one your mother says you are lots better andy she said andy gave a happy sheepish smile and wiggled two fingers weakly which meant they were to shake hands mother was afraid for the fellows to come he said on account of my heart i suppose she thinks a girl can't affect anybody's heart i'm so quiet you see said nance but i'll go if you think it's going to hurt you you wouldn't like to see me cry would you i boo-hooed like a kid this morning because they wouldn't let me have broiled ham for breakfast i smelt it cooking it would be just like having to give up broiled ham for breakfast to have you go nance sit down again will you and don't leave me until i tell you since i've been sick i've learned to be a boss i'm sorry i didn't let you boss me that night andy remarked nance meekly i ought never to have coasted down the hill i've wanted to apologize ever since have you been blaming yourself he broke in it wasn't your fault at all it all happened because i was angry and didn't look where i was going I have had a lot of time to think lately, and I've decided that there is nothing so stupid as getting mad. You always have to pay for it somehow. Look at me, a human wreck for indulging in a fit of rage. There's a fellow at X who lost his temper in an argument over a baseball game and walked into a door and broke his nose. Nance laughed. There are other ways of curing tempers besides broken bones, she said. Just plain remorse is as good as a broken nose. At least I found it so did you have the remorse nance asked andy wiggling the fingers of his good hand again yes awfully andy answered the young girl slipping her hand into his i felt just like a murderer the nurse came in presently to say that the fifteen minutes allotted for the call was up it had slipped by on the wings of the wind but their friendship had been re-established on the old happy basis Andy was unusually polite to his mother and the nurse that day, and Nance went straight to the village and bought two big bunches of violets, one for Molly and one for Judy. In some way she must give expression to the rejoicing in her heart, and this was the only means she could think of. Besides Andy McLean's recovery, several other nice things happened before Christmas. One morning Judy burst into her friend's room like a wild creature waving a letter in each hand they are coming she cried they have each written to tell me so isn't it perfect isn't it glorious no need to tell molly and nance who they were these girls were fully aware that judy treated her mother and father exactly like two sweethearts giving each an equal share of her abundant affections but the others were not so well informed about judy's family relations otoyo-sen began to clap her hands and laugh joyously in sympathy is it two honorable young gentlemen who arriving come to see Miss Keen? Now, Otoyo, how often have I told you not to say arriving come, exclaimed Molly. 
i know it's a fascinating combination and difficult to forget in moments of excitement but it's very bad english miss keen she is so happy replied the japanese girl speaking slowly and carefully i cannot remember in when i see so much great joy wouldn't you be happy too if your honorable mamma and papa were coming to wellington to visit you you cunning little sparrow bird asked judy seizing otoyo's hands and dancing her wildly about the room oh it is honorable mother and father that is differently it is not the same in japan young japanese girl might make great deal of noise over something new and very pretty you see but it is not respectful to jump up so about parents arriving there was a great laugh at this Atoya was an especial pet at queen's with the older girls she's like a continuous performance of the mikado remarked edith williams three little maids from school rolled into one the quaintest most adorable little person and when do these honorable parents arriving come asked margaret wakefield tomorrow afternoon answered judy where shall i get rooms what shall i take them to see shall i give a tea and ask the girls to meet them don't you think a sleighing party would be fun and a fudge party in the evening papa loves fudge do you think it would be a good idea to have dinner up here in molly and nancy's room or let papa give a banquet at the inn do suggest everybody judy was too excited to sit down she was walking up and down the room her cheeks blazing and her eyes as uncannily bright as two elfin lights on a dark night be calm judy said molly taking her friend by the shoulders and pushing her into a chair you'll work yourself into a high fever with your excitable ways now sit down there and we'll talk it over quietly and arrange a program judy sat down obediently i suppose it does seem funny to all of you but you see mamma and papa and i have been brought up together you mean you brought them up asked edith we brought each other up they call me little sister and until i went off to college because papa insisted i must have some education life was just one beautiful lark what a jolly time you must have had observed nance with a wistful smile which reminded the self-centered judy at last that it was not exactly kind to pile it on too thickly about her delightful parents not a little curiosity was felt by the queen's girls to see mr and mrs keen whom judy had described as paragons of beauty and wit and they assembled at wellington station in a body to meet the distinguished pair judy herself was in a quiver of happy excitement and when finally the train pulled into the station she rushed from one platform to another in her eagerness of course they had taken the chair car down but she was too bewildered to remember that there was but one such coach on the wellington train and it was usually the rear car i don't find them oh mamma oh papa you couldn't have missed the train she cried addressing the spirits of the air just then a very tall handsome man with eyes exactly like judy's pinioned her arms from behind well little sister don't you know your own father he was just as judy had described him and her word picture also fitted mrs keene a dainty pretty little woman with a doll-like face and flaxen hair who would never have given the impression that she was in the habit of roughing it in engineering camps sleeping out of doors riding across sun-baked plains on texas broncos and accompanying her husband wherever he went on his bridge and railroad building trips judy hasn't had much home life she said later to molly we had to take our choice little sister and i between a home without papa or papa without a home and we decided that he was ten thousand times more delightful than the most wonderful palace ever built her extravagant speeches reminded molly of judy 
but the mother was much gentler and quieter than her excitable daughter and perhaps not so clever they dined at queen's that night and made a tour of the entire house except judith blount's room all apartments having been previously spruced up for inspection otoyo had shown her respect for the occasion by hanging a japanese lantern from the chandelier and loading a little table with meat sweets which she offered to the guests when they paused in her room during their triumphal progress through the house later molly and nance entertained at a fudge and stunt party and mr and mrs keene were initiated into the secrets of life at queen's they entered into the fun like two children and one of the stunts a dialogue between the williams sisters amused mr keene so much that he laughed loud and long until his wife shook him by the shoulder and exclaimed hush bobby remember you're not on the plains but in a girls boarding school yes robert said judy who frequently spoke to her parents by their first names remember that you are in a place where law and order must be maintained you shouldn't give such laugh-provoking stunts then answered mr keene but i'll try and remember to put on the soft pedal hereafter then molly accompanying herself on judy's guitar sang big camp meetin' down the swamp oh my hallelujah mr keene suddenly joined in with a deep booming bass he had learned that song many years before in the south he said and had never forgotten it he never forgets anything said judy proudly laying her cheek against her father's and now what will you sing bobby to amuse the ladies mr keene without the least embarrassment took the guitar and looking so amazingly like judy that they might have been twins sang young jeremy Dilson johnson jenks was a lad of scarce nineteen it was a delightful song and the chorus so catchy that after the second verse the entire fudge and stunt party joined in with oh marry me marry me sang young jeremy marry me lovely lou presently mr keene seizing his daughter around the waist began dancing and in a moment everybody was twirling to that lively tune bumping up against each other and tumbling on the divans in an effort to circle around the room all the time mrs keene standing on a chair in the corner was gently remonstrating and calling out now bobby you mustn't make so much noise this isn't a mining camp nobody heard her soft expostulations and only the little lady herself heard the sharp rap on the door and noticed a piece of paper shoved under the crack rescuing it from under the feet of the dancers and seeing that it was addressed to miss keene she opened and read it oh how very mortifying she exclaimed now bobby i knew you would get these girls into some scrape you are always so noisy see here our own judy being reprimanded you must make your father explain to the president or matron or whoever this miss blount is that it was all his fault what in the world are you talking about julia keene demanded judy snatching the note from her mother and reading it rapidly well of all the unexampled impudence she cried when she had finished will you be good enough to listen to this miss keene you and your family are a little too noisy for the comfort of the other tenants in this house those of us who wish to study and rest cannot do so this is not a dance hall nor a mining camp will you kindly arrange to entertain more quietly the singing is especially obnoxious judith blount judy was in such a white heat of rage when she finished reading the note that her mother was obliged to quiet her by smoothing her forehead and saying over and over there there my darling don't mind it so much no doubt the young person was quite right mr keene was intensely amused over the letter he read it to himself twice then laughed and slapped his knee exclaiming by jove judy my love it takes a woman to write a note like that 
a woman a cat broke in judy mrs keene put her hand over her daughter's mouth and looked shocked oh judy my dearest you mustn't say such unladylike things she cried it's just because she wasn't invited continued judy i wouldn't let the girls ask her this time she usually is invited and makes as much racket as any of us it was rather mean to leave her out observed molly i suppose she's sore about it but we didn't ask all the girls at queen's sally marks and two freshmen were not invited and if we had gone outside we'd have invited mary stewart and mabel hinton still said mr keen there's nothing meaner than the left out feeling it cuts deep suppose we smooth things over by asking her to our next party let me see will all of you give mrs keene and me the pleasure of having you dine with us tomorrow evening at the inn now may i borrow some writing materials he added after a chorus of acceptances had been raised nance conducted him to her writing desk which was always the acme of neatness and well stocked with stationery here is the letter that mr keene wrote to judith blount which judy looking over her father's shoulder read aloud as it evolved dear miss blount blount did you say your name was <laughs> you were quite right to scold mr keene and me for making so much noise it was inconsiderate of us but bobby protested mrs keene it isn't fair to lay the blame on me and make me write the letter too be quiet my love answered her husband will you not give us the pleasure of your company at dinner tomorrow evening at the inn we are anxious to show you what really quiet law-abiding people we are and mr keene and i will be much disappointed if you do not allow us the opportunity to prove it to you judy's father paused his pen suspended while he asked didn't i see bill posters at the station announcing a performance at the opera house yes cried judy they're giving the silver king dinner will be a little early he wrote because mr keene is planning to take us all to the play afterwards he will call for you in what shall i call for you in the bus promptly answered every girl in the room the bus at six fifteen anticipating much pleasure in having you with us tomorrow believe me most cordially yours julia s keene now julia my love sit down and copy what i've written in your best handwriting and we'll try to smooth down this fiery young person's ruffled feathers mrs keene obediently copied the note after all it wasn't an unkind revenge and otoyo delivered it at judith's door while the others chatted quietly and absorbed quantities of hot fudge and crackers presently otoyo stole softly back into the room what did she say little one asked judy she was very stilly answered otoyo shyly she spoke nothing whatever i thought it more wisely to depart and go the laugh that was raised at this lucid report restored good humor in the company a vehicle called for mr and mrs keene at a quarter before ten to take them down into the village and it was not long before every light was out in queen's cottage but one in a small single room in an upper story here in front of the mirror over the dressing-table sat a black-eyed girl in a red silk dressing-gown judith she said fiercely to her image in the glass can't you remember that you are too poor to insult people any longer then she rolled up mrs keene's note into a little ball and flung it across the room with such force that it hit the other wall and bounded back again to her feet and she ground it under her heel after this exhibition of impotent rage she put out her light and flung herself into the bed where she tossed about uneasily and exclaimed to herself i won't be poor i won't work i hate this hideous little room and i loathe queen's cottage 
I wish I had never been born. Nevertheless, Judith Blount did humble herself next day to accept Mrs. Keene's invitation. At the dinner, she was sullen and quiet, but she could not hide her enjoyment of the melodrama later. The one taste which she had in common with her brother Richard was an affection for the theater, no matter how crude the acting nor how hackneyed the play. But the insulting letter that she had sent to Judy Keene widened the breach between her and the Queen's girls, and no amount of effort on her part after that could bridge it over. End of chapter 15